This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are nerding out, folks, naming our most interesting players to watch on the ATP Challenger Tour down the 2021 season's home stretch. Of course, if you're going to talk Challenger Tennis, there are few, if any, better people to do that with than the man joining me on today's show. You know him as the host of our Monday ATP Challenger-centric Great Shot Podcast episodes, writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, writer for Last Word on Tennis as well. Of course, I'm referring to Damian Kust, who joins me on today's show to, as I mentioned, name the players we will be watching most closely on the Challenger Tour down the home season stretch. Of course, some of those names, uh, the season's home stretch, excuse me, some of those names, fairly obvious. We had to talk about 19-year-old Czech Yuri Lehechka. He won his second Challenger title of the season this past week. He was the subject of an article Damian wrote for our website on Monday. If you haven't, go check that out now. But of course, his rise certainly has come to the attention of those of us uh, to those of us who follow the challenger level most closely and he does seem perfectly poised for a big breakout perhaps even on the ATP level 2022 season of course that's not the only name we discussed we had to talk Kozlov's run to the Columbus title where does he go from here we also talk about former world junior number one Diego Tarante we talk about my birthday brother Juan Pablo Varias JJ Wolf Benjamin Bonzi a couple other as well. Again, nerd out is the theme. We take a deep dive into these players' games, talk about what it's going to take from them to make that jump to the next level, what it's going to take from them to sustain the success from some that we've seen this season. It is a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, if you're looking for the day-in, day-out recaps, you can find them on the Mini Break podcast. I had the chance to sit down with a first-round winner from the San Diego Open, a top 30 guy now on the ATP Tour, friend of our show, Cam Norton for about 10 minutes following his victory to chat about that win, chat about his breakout season. And so you can find that over on our Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as with our other From the Presser segments for the week. All of that content available on the website, CrackRackets.com, as we continue our quest to provide all of you listeners with the sort of information, sort of dedication to the day-in, day-out grind that you deserve as tennis fans. But with that said, let's get to it. Today's ATP challenger-centric episode, most interesting players to watch down the 2021 season's home stretch with Crack Rackets contributor Damian Kust. 
Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion on our Crack Rackets shows. You may know him as a writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, a writer for Last Word on Tennis, the man on top of all things ATP Challenger Tour, and my friend, Damien Koos. Damien, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? Hey, I'm I'm very flattered by that introduction. <laughs> I don't know if I think of myself that highly, but sure. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm I'm great. I'm glad to be here again. Yeah, fake it till you make it. That's what I always say. Fake it till you make it. It's not, you know, if if I say it eventually, it'll come true. Is what I like to think. But no, I mean, I know the reason I speak so highly of you sincerely every Monday. You, Jakob, ATP Challenger Tour recaps. It's a staple of my listening habits because, of course, if you look over the past few weeks. What, like five, 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 seven, three, five challengers each and every week? It's impossible to keep up with all of the action. And so it helps to be able to segment it off. And I appreciate all the work you guys are doing for us here at Crack Rackets. I also know you've had the chance to get on the road. You've had the chance to go attend some challengers in person, see the action unfold, talk to some players on the ground. Before we get into your Lechechka article, before we get into some of the other topics we have today, I want to start there. Because obviously, 2020, none of us were able to get on the ground, go watch tennis at all. Early in 2021, it was still unclear, of course. We didn't really know where the Challenger Tour was going to be. We didn't really know where the Professional Tour was going to be month in, month out, let alone week in, week out. So it was tough to plan any trips, tough to plan what tournaments you might attend. But now you've had the chance to do it. And I have to ask, I know for me personally, being back on the ground, beyond even just seeing the tennis, being in a tennis environment, it's crack to people like me and you. But I'm curious, your experiences on the ground and just it had to have been nice to be back at a professional event. I mean, it, it is cracked for sure. I mean, coming back, I'm I'm always like looking for a next tournament. Yeah, exactly. When, when I'm back from when I'm back from something, especially from a challenger event, as I'm as I'm you know so invested in it right now, I just want to get back on the road. Obviously, uh, no traveling is actually pretty easy right now, I guess, compared to what we had last year. Uh, last year, yeah, I, I also had a very big break. I, I attended some all Polish exhibition events, but that wasn't really you know, the, the same thing, although I obviously enjoyed them. Uh, but yeah, this, this year I definitely hoped for something international, but it ended up that in the summer I only went to Ooh. Uh, I only went to uh, the, the free challenger events that we had in Poland, but just before, actually just before we started recording, I was looking at some at some challengers in November. Uh, I was thinking of either Helsinki or maybe maybe something in Germany. So I don't know. I, I, I'm obviously it's gonna be hard for me because of the university, but I think I can skip like two weeks in, in a semester or something like that. So, uh, so I, 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 as you said, it's crack. I just can't imagine not going to another event this year. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> absolutely. Again, that's the goal. The beauty, I suppose, of. I mean, if you're going to take a silver lining from the pandemic, it's that we all learned how to do online classes, right? Or we all learned how to do everything online. So the idea of following your classes while attending some tennis, not out of the realm of yeah, possibility. Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually not going to have online classes anymore. Just, just, oh, just a few of them. they've taken it away from you? They're, they knew. Yeah. They've been listening to the pod, Damien. <laughs> I think they knew. They're after you. Um, I have like one class online, so... Yeah, no, that's brutal. Yeah. But, you know, I know you also had the opportunity while in Warsaw to speak with a couple of players on the ground, and I know you got the chance to speak, I believe, with Kovalik, with Nicolas Iari, with Nuno Borges, and some others as well. 
curious if any interview stood out to you if there was any player during your stretch of time and that gets us into today's topic I suppose we want to talk about you know some of the players to watch down the home stretch of this 2021 season on the ATP Challenger Tour but I'm curious over the past couple of weeks I don't think Benjamin Bonzi came by your path I think he was in France right he was kind of doing his own thing and so you may not have had the chance to see him in person we'll get to him later on today but was there any were you there for the Kolar run did he win the title in Warsaw again there's been like 30 Uh, in, in Warsaw, that was Camilo Gokarabelli. That's who it was. It was, yeah. And which, by the way, that's another. Just throw another Argentinian in the mix, right? And it's like this week it's him. Yeah, yeah. I actually couldn't talk to him because he doesn't know English. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I will want to talk about one player that I spoke to uh, later on. Uh, actually, a player I spoke to in Szczecin. But uh, of the interviews, I mean, the the general thing that I, well, b- before this year, I was a coward mostly at these events. <laughs> like honestly, the the podcast kind of forced me to, you know, I, I wanted to make the episodes better, so I wanted to uh, do some do some bits of interviews with the players so I, I, I it, it kind of forced me to try and uh, well I discovered that everyone was super nice no one ever declined uh, well obviously there were players who were I don't know tired or just uh, there were some English issues like that they just didn't speak it well enough to you know to, to to say something interesting other than i play good and 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 something like that but it but it's normal everyone was super oh i just said no one declined camilo caravelli declined but <laughs> that was for for another reason uh but i would say that uh alexander vukic was definitely one that i really enjoyed talking to in general the either the guys who are native speakers of English or guys who went to college. So Nuno Borges, as you said, uh, you know, they understand the questions <laughs> best. Obviously, I'm also not a native speaker, so I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, uh, saying that my questions are super complicated and all, <laughs> but it, it's it's better, it's easier, it feels more, na- more natural when the, the language barrier doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. No, completely understand that and... You know, again, I think even regardless of if you're dealing with a top 100 player or someone who is a native English speaker, whatever it may be, the college guys are always great to talk to. And obviously that's something we get the chance to do a lot of here at Crack Rackets. But yeah, Vukic is the man. Nuno's the man. Like, Nuno will talk to you about anything you ask. He'll give you a candid answer. And I think that's something I've also noticed when you talk to guys who are competing predominantly at the challenger level. They just appreciate the interest. And that's why, you know, we continue to promote challenger-level tennis here at Crack Rackets because, A— you know, the level of play is phenomenal. And I do want to ask you about that as well, because you always forget when you go to a match in person, on a live stream, everything's just a little bit slower. It feels a little bit more controlled. You go to a match in person, you see some of these backhands out of corners, and you're just like, why is this guy not the best in the world? Like, I feel like on the right day, this guy could beat anyone. And so, of course, um, that's fascinating aspect, number one. But number two is there's just an appreciation. It feels like at a challenger event, there's an intimacy uh, because it's not 5,000, 10,000 people there. It's, if you're lucky, a couple hundred people on site. And there's just, again, in, uh, to use the same word, an intimacy to that setting that you just can't replicate anywhere else. So if you have a challenger nearby, obviously go attend it, uh, attend it. That said, again, tennis perspective. Give me one guy who just in person, because I know no one spends more time on livestream.com slash ATP than Damian Koost, but in person, getting to see them, you were like, that's better than I thought it would be. 
Um, for me, it was Ulysses Blanche. With... I was going to say, so I'll give you my example. In Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. It's not I this always year knew, as well. Okay. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I knew in Ann Arbor, Ulysses Blanche last year, I watched him play. I, I, you know, I'd seen him play before. I knew he had power tennis. But until you actually see the power in tennis compared to the happiness of the other guy's ball, because it's not as though, and, you know, I'm trying to think who he played on his run to that final there. I know there was, in the final, it was Roberto Sid, and oh, obviously that's yeah, a Roberto huge Sid's contrast. Yeah, I don't remember. I think Kozlov played Sid in the semi. So maybe he played Altmaier mm-hmm. in the semi, and that was the other one. I, I should remember I was on the freaking call for the match. The point being, <laughs> until you see Ulysses Blanche, just like you see players of you know Altmaier's quality, of Roberto Sid's quality, just not know what to do with that sort of power, you don't really understand how devastating it is. And like for you, I know you got the chance to see Nuno in person. You see him hit a forehand, or you actually see his kick serve in person and how far off the court the opponent gets, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that play will work 90% of the time. And it's just, I guess it's the little things like that in person that it's the little nuances. Again, the heaviness of the Blanche ball, the effectiveness of Nuno creating space. I feel like those are the things in person viewing you can kind of capture a little bit better. Definitely. I mean, I, when it comes to Nuno, I already had a very high opinion of him before before he seeing him live. It was also like his first tournament after after the second ankle injury, so so you know he he wasn't exactly playing his best yet. But from from the past, that was definitely what I had with uh, Pavel Chash, the Pole who reached the stretching quarters right now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, I first saw him live not that long ago actually but I, I believe it was 2018 uh, maybe July or something but you know just, just, I, I, I just feel like I would have never really enjoyed him as much uh, uh, as a player as I as I do right now if I didn't see him live I also I'm also not really surprised because when in Szczecin he defeated Kopriva and uh, Trevalia and obviously the people on Twitter were calling it fixes uh, and all like I, I I sort of get that because if you look at his records, like if you look at how he's done throughout his career, it's like four ITF titles I think, and quarter, he he, had, he hadn't made a single quarterfinal at, at the Challenger before. And if you just look at that, and if you look at the game on the stream, maybe I can I can understand that they they do not see it. But you know, from the first time I saw him live, I was always like, okay, this guy has more talent than than he than he's showing. And well, uh, I I I I've soon found out that many people actually carry the same idea about him. The guys who who actually saw him, uh, you know, live in person on the court. Yeah, it's it's a completely different mm-hmm. perspective for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. And again, hopefully you do get the chance to attend these events in person, not only because, again, I know our Cracked Rackets fans appreciate the opportunity to hear from these players directly, but I know they appreciate your analysis as well coming off of those events. But of course, all of that said... That is not the topic of today's discussion. Of course, whenever we have Damien on, we are going to dive into the ATP Challenger ranks. We are going to nerd out a bit, talk about some names less prominent, less in the mainstream conscious of tennis fans, but names nevertheless that you should keep your eye on down the home stretch of this 2021 season. Players that we will likely be seeing competing week in, week out at the Challenger level. I mean, you want to talk about the Challenger level right now. Go look at the draw in Orleans, the uh, Challenger are happening indoors in France. I believe the top seed, Hugo and Bear, lost first round. I know you've got Gasquet in there. I know uh, 
Herbert was in there. Luca Pui was in there. I'm forgetting who the two seed was. It's on the tip uh, of the my tongue. But I, yeah, uh, uh, Rindernach is the Bonzi. three. Yeah, I Benjamin Bonzi. Three. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Bonzi. Yeah, Bonzi's the two. Um, I mean, look. It's it's a loaded draw. You have a bunch of top 100 players competing this week, and obviously that also speaks to the fact that there are still limited competitive opportunities for so many players at the ATP level. Now, this week, there happened to be two events in Sofia and San Diego, but as such, I mean, those are jam-packed draws as well. Really high level of player, really low, high, depending on how you want to say it. Tough ranking cutoff to even get into qualities of those events, and so... You know, again, why is challenger tennis important? And this is where I want to start today's conversation because just look at the guys who have had breakthroughs at the challenger level at the end of last season, at the start of this season, and where they've gone here in 2021. Of course, you had Jensen Brooksby, who makes a final in South Africa, makes a final in Cleveland, ends up winning a couple of challengers in Orlando and Tallahassee as well. He's now a top 50 guy. I think we all agree. The Jensen and Brooksby experience, it's real. You want to go back to end of last season, start of this season, Carlos Alcaraz. What did he make? Four finals? Five finals at the challenger level? Won uh, three or four titles? He either won three three titles and four finals. finals. This this year he won one more, Yeah, exactly. So it's yep. four and five. And see, this is why we have you on, Damien. Perfect. I knew the numbers were right. I just mm-hmm. didn't have the order correct. But again, four challenger titles, five finals in the past 15 months. He's now a top 50 guy. You look at players like Sebastian Corda, Brandon Nakashima, who won their first challenger titles end of last season, start of this season. They are both ascending towards the top 50. You look at a guy like Holger Rune, who's had sneaky amounts of success at the challenger level this season, started out, you know, was a struggle for him at the end of last year playing challenger level events and was a struggle for him in first rounds, you know, the cramps he was dealing with and just physically adjusting to the level of play. Well, now we not only see him winning challenger titles, we see him winning matches without wild cards at the ATP level. We see him coming through qualifying, earning first round wins, just ascending his way towards the top 100 All of that is to say, of course, the challenger level is because of just the structure of pro tennis is where you are going to see young players making leaps. And where I want to start today's conversation is with a young player I think is in the midst of one of those leaps here in 2021, a player I think is perfectly positioned for a breakthrough 2022 season. And it's a guy you wrote about for our website, Crack Rackets, this week, Damien. Of course, I am referring to Yuri Lechechka, the 19-year-old talent out of the Czech Republic. You look for Lechechka. He was able to get back to the winner's circle on the ATP Challenger Tour uh, last, season, uh, last season. Excuse me, last week. Uh, I believe he won his title in Romania. Uh, you look for him. He has, or he was knocked out of the tur- uh, of. Uh, this week's challenger, but that's two challenger titles for him on the season. You look for Lechechka now in the live ATP rankings. He's up to a new career high of number 177, number 173 this week with the win he got making the round of 16. I mean, again, 19 years old, Damien, top 100 player, uh, top 100, excuse me, top one, 200 player, a guy who you look at in terms of points accumulated this season, Lechechka even higher than that. He's accumulated the 106th most points on tour. So that's not to say he is a top 100 guy, but he's been right around a top 100 level throughout this 2021 season. 
curious your thoughts on the 19-year-old's game and the progression. Yeah, I would definitely agree that throughout this season he's been around that level, and the position for that breakthrough is really is as as you said absolutely excellent. This is. Because you, we usually talk about all these talents that someone on the Challenger Tour is doing well, but you know when you actually stop and think about who out of, for example, these young Czechs has, you know, is is perfectly primed for for a main tour breakthrough soon in a, in a year or two, and and that's Lehechka for me, because all of the other guys basically stagnated recently. Like Mahaj hasn't done that well in in, in the last year or so. Uh, he, well, he's ba- he basically is at the same level where he where he was, and Dalibor Stina won a, a challenger title. But th- this this is the example of a guy who you know we know it's gonna take him a while. And Lehechka just seems like th- there's not that there's literally nothing that can stop him from breaking through in like a year or two, and. Uh, well, well, obviously, uh, for some of the players, surfaces might be an issue, but I don't think it will exactly be like that in his case. Like when, when you just look at his game, how aggressive he can be from the baseline, that should work out really well on hard as well. Uh, he hasn't really played challengers on hard courts this year. I, I don't think if he played a single one, honestly. But he did play ITFs early earlier in the season. He won one in, in February and then was runner-up in I think in April at the 25k indoors. So so he's definitely you know held his own there. And he also played the US Open qualies, which was his first Grand Slam Grand Slam event and he had a fantastic win over Marchenko. Obviously you know, it's it's not a top 100 win. It's not something of a huge caliber, but just just the, the the quality there was really high. And even though he didn't really have anything left for his third round match against uh, Jamilka, uh, uh, that was just another confirmation for me that the the guy will. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I even said so in, in, in a tweet re- recently that uh, it's it's not if, it's when Izzy breaks through to the main tour because that, that's basically how I feel right now about this guy. And uh, he, he, he played two matches against top 100 opponents this year. One was against Federico Coria and the second against uh, Stefano Travaglia last week in Bucharest, actually. Uh, and he, he won both of them, looked super competitive. Uh, these are guys who have done well uh, on the main tour before. These, these were both—they are both clay. No, Stravali is maybe not a clay court specialist, but they're both at their best on clay. Lehechka definitely didn't look like he was any any worse than them. So he's probably not as you know uh, not as ready for this breakthrough as uh, Holger Rune, whom you mentioned. Like next year, I'm definitely expecting Holger Rune to be a factor in the European clay court season. I mean, the ATP Tour one, not not challengers. Lehechka, probably he's going to get his first experiences and maybe more. But uh, yeah, definitely out of the out of the guys right now that are 19, 20, that's someone whom I would be really surprised if I, I don't know, if he didn't make top 50 at some point. I don't think that, I don't feel like it's even bold. Like, saying that he will make top 50 like i don't know uh, i feel like that's what most people would assume he can do yes yeah but 
No, I, I think you look for Lechechka, who right now is the fifth highest-ranked ATP player under 20. You look at that list right now. Alcaraz, number one, 38th in the live rankings. Musetti, 261. Juan Manuel Serendolo, who, of course, won an ATP title on the South American clay court stretch. And by the way, that's got Holger Rune's name written all over it next year. It's, I think it's going to be him. Uh, yes, Ferrante, I to a guy we're going to talk about too. a little bit yeah. later. I think he is. Per- yeah. Isn't that just like the. Oh, so he's on your list? Perfect. Perfect. I knew there was going to be some overlap. But um, again, it goes Surindolo 3 at 102, Rune 4, 123. Then you get to Lachechka, who's number 5, number 173. I would put him, in terms of the development curve, a little bit ahead of guys like Dom Stricker, who we saw win a challenger earlier this season. But we still need to see a larger sample size of matches from, I think, period on the challengers, uh, just across professional tennis, but on the challenger circuit in particular. You get guys like Arthur Cazell. And you know Emilio Nava, Shintaro Machizuki, Zepieri, Caboli. Uh, these are all good guys, but I would put Lachechka a little bit ahead of them in the trajectory. And you talk about uh, for Lachechka, yeah, he hasn't played a lot of hardcore tennis, but you go back to the end of last season, 17 and 12 in the matches he played in 2020. He ends the year by making a semifinal at the challenger level, winning a futures title in Prague at the 25k level, making another final at a 15k. To your point, he starts out this season at the ITF level, but he rips through it. He goes to Egypt, makes a semifinal, and wins a title there over a two-week stretch. He then goes to St. Petersburg, qualifies for an indoor hardcourt challenger, makes it all the way to the semifinals of that event before mm-hmm. getting knocked out by Casper Zouk. But I don't think that's a bad loss, particularly with how well Zouk was playing at the start of this season. You just look over the course of this year— He's played 75 matches, 56 wins, Damien. He's won 75% of his matches over a full-year stretch, and it wasn't just at the few. Yes, he padded his stats at the start of the season at the futures level, but you look for him overall on the season in, you know, again, those 19 results. He's got the two challenger titles. You look beyond that just in terms of semifinals he's made. He's made 11 different semifinals, I want to say, uh, six of them were at the challenger level. Six challenger semifinals as a 19-year-old. Oh, excuse me, 11 different quarterfinals. Six of them coming at the challenger level. He's made eight total semifinals. Four of them have come at the challenger level. There we go. Uh, lock those in. But for a 19-year-old, those are damn good stats. And, you know, two of the four times he made the semifinal, he came home with the title unequivocally a year step forward for him from a results standpoint and you just look at the numbers that he's been able to put uh, together this season in a predominantly challenger level schedule he's held serve 79.1 percent of the time now of course you have to adjust for level of competition but that would be in between dan evans and roberto bautista Gut. that would rank 31st amongst top 50 players now again he's not playing top 50 competition but he's pretty solid on serve as a returner is where Lachechka shines. His break percentage over the season, 31.9%. If you're over 30%, you're in the elite category. Here are the five guys on the ATP Tour who break serve over 30% of the time. Medvedev, Nadal, Djokovic, Schwartzman, and then Carlos Alcaraz, who doesn't count because it's a lot of challenger-level tennis baked into that stat. But that Lachechka is breaking serve at the elite of the elite rate at the challenger level. Isn't that indicative of the fact, Damien, that he's just, he's ready for the next level of serves? He's mastered that, you know, if you don't have the 120, 125 heat, and of course it helps that he's played a lot of clay court tennis, 
but he is going to get a clean strike on that ball. And this gets into his game style. The forehand's the more dynamic of the two shots. There's no doubt about that. But the way he gets his momentum moving forward on that backhand, the way he drives through that backhand, that's going to be the calling card for me. That's the shot that I already see from Lechechka, and I see that shot is ATP ready. I also love the way he moves forward. And if you go watch, I think it was his final against Horansky Horansky last week, or maybe I think that's who he played in the final. In in the first four games— he he was all over Horansky. Like, he jumped on him. Just, he was the aggressor. He was the one taking the ball a little bit earlier on the baseline. And then the moment he got a chance to take a ball early, kept that aggressive positioning, worked his way to the net, has comfortable feel, really good size, I think, for a 19-year-old. Pretty filled out body already. The strength he has, I think, translates. I mean, the guy's just blessed with a kick serve. There's no doubt about that. And that helps a lot on the clay. Now, I want to see that serve on hard courts. But Lechechka's game, to, to your point, I think we're ready to see him play ATP level, certainly at least clay court matches. Yeah, as you said, the return is one of his strengths, while the serve is just sort of there for me. Like, it's it's just workable. And that's why I think he's so successful in clay, because you know, reliance on serve is just not the big there. And the, the, the final you mentioned against Koransky is actually, uh, I, I thought it was a pretty good example because Koransky has that long windup yeah. on his forehand. And as you mentioned, he just jumped on him in the first five games. Uh, Lechechka was just, you know, dominant baseline and pretty much stayed dominant until, until the end of the match. And the, the big contrast there was how early they could take the ball because Koransky just needs a lot more time to set up obviously he had some matches in the past like where he where he was still able to blast winners from everywhere because that that's another guy with huge talent but exactly exactly but but Lechka simply t- took the ball a lot earlier and in in this final it never really felt like felt like Oransky had had any sort of chance which was maybe a stretch, but I don't know. I just I just watched it waiting until Hedgeka wins this. And uh, as as he said, I also really like his backhand. That's the part of his return, like that. That's the wing from which I think his return is stronger. Uh, in in the article for the website, I also talked about like defending with the open stance backhand. I feel like because of all the muscles that he has uh that that's also going to be a lot easier for him i think he gained a lot actually like comparing because i saw him twice this summer uh first in poznan then then in stettin and i feel like comparing the two events i uh, he probably gained a lot of muscle mass between uh between these two and he he really looks uh, it's not quite Aslan Karatsev cow, Karatsev's cows, but his his legs, his quads are absolutely huge, and you know muscles is obviously not everything in tennis, but it, it really helps to perform some of the shots that are required from a pro. And uh, yeah, 
I, I'm totally ready for him to to break through to the main tour. I think it's pretty much impossible that that it doesn't happen at some point. Yeah, and look, he's only played three top one hundred uh, top one hundred opponents in his career. Yeah. One of them you can throw out. It was back in 2019 against Robin Hassa. Now uh, Hassa. perhaps it's notable that he got a set in that match in 2019. But he's played two top one hundred guys this year. He won both matches against Federico Correa. Was six and six against Travaglia, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, six three seven six. I just need to see it against a higher level of competition. Does that uh, continue to translate? Because I call him a good, not great mover. I don't think movement's ever going to be a problem for Lachetka. I wouldn't say he's the fast, you know, most fleet of foot guy out there. I, I, it's in the Tsitsipas model, right? Where as he continues to get stronger, he'll continue to find more strength out of those corners. And then again, just when he's able to set his feet and get his momentum moving forward into a ball, there's an aggressiveness he plays with. You're just absolutely a fan of. And yeah, he's positioned himself perfectly. I mean, again, given how difficult it is to get into challengers right now, uh, the fact that he does, you know, he is a top 200 guy, it shouldn't be an issue for him moving forward. And his challenger success spread out over the course of the year. And so he can make a big push at the start of the season, getting into those indoor hardcore challenger events or whether he chooses to play clay courts as well. It's it's just a, he's certainly made a jump this season. Now, it's interesting. He's like 6'2", you know, maybe 6'3". I do think he's gotten a little taller. I don't think he's the 6'1 that he's listed at anymore. But, you know, he's not the 6'4 to 6'6 model of player we see so many of these young guys following. And yet, it's really interesting to watch uh, Lachetka continue to rise. And certainly, again, if you haven't, go read Damien's piece uh, on our website, crackedrackets.com, where he breaks down what Lachetka has accomplished lately, tells you about his background, where he goes from here. Fantastic piece, if you don't mind me saying, Damien. But uh, with that in mind, let's uh, let's move on to some of the other names uh, we wanted to talk about. And again, I wanted to talk about just names to watch down the home stretch. Who are the people you should be looking for? Who are the guys who may make jumps at the end of this season? You'll see that jump correspond at the start of next season. Or maybe guys who need to refine their form here down the home stretch. Francisco Serendolo, who is tentatively on. I didn't want to make my list all Argentinians. I honestly almost did. I was like, I could just talk about Argentina tennis. uh, But I feel like we've done that before. Um, But, you know, again... There are a lot of interesting names on the list. One I just want to quickly knock out here because he won his first challenger title since 2017 last week in Columbus is Stefan Kozlov, who, of course, in my opinion, was the best 12-year-old I've ever seen with a tennis racket in his hand. And by the time he was 12 years old, he was playing Boys 18's Easter Bowl, Boys 18's Orange Bowl. He's a two-time Junior Slam finalist, you know, losing to Zverev in Australia. Same year, he loses to Noah Rubin at Wimbledon. He and Francis Tiafo played two of the best junior matches you'll ever see, whether it's their Junior Orange Bowl final or the five-setter they played in the final, 2015 Kalamazoo. And you know, again, those are all moments that'll stick with me. Of course, it's worth mentioning for Stefan Kozlov, his first challenger final came back in 2014 when he lost in the final to Sam Query in Sacramento. And, you know, you want to continue beyond that. He was the first guy in his age, uh, which I think he's a 1998. He was the first guy to win an ATP match or make an ATP quarterfinal when he did it in the Netherlands on the grass. I want to say back in 2015 or 2016 and just, you know, again, was right on the precipice of cracking that top 100. And then a couple different things happened. A, injuries. There's no doubt. Kozlov's been bitten by the injury bugs. Uh, Different nagging things here and there have just prevented him from playing a full stretch, a full season, completely healthy. 
Part B is, look, Kozlov's always been a guy whose feel is second to none. I put him in the Tomish category where it was just like those are the two guys who you watched as juniors. Uh, and maybe this shows I'm a little older than you, but you just like saw Tomich when he was young, and you're just like, that guy can put a tennis ball wherever he wants. Like, there are some people who you just put a tennis racket in their hand, and they just kind of get it. And Tomich was one of those people who just kind of got how to play the sport. Kozlov's one of those guys as well. Whether it's taking that ball early on the rise, whether it's incorporating the drop shots, the short angles, the volleys, there's not a shot on the court he can't hit. I think he's deceptively athletic for his uh, size. And that said, though, the serve, the plus one power, just the ability to make things easy for himself, something you thought would develop the way it develops for anyone uh, who's that successful as a junior, it never really did for him. And while he was very tennis chameleon-y, the better the opponent, the better he could play, the worse the opponent, the worse Kozlov could play. And I just think you look for him now, semifinals, I want to say the first carry challenger. He now makes another semifinal, uh, now obviously a semifinal further, wins the title in Columbus, back into the top 300. Still only 23 years old, Damian. I said at the start of this season, I needed to see something from Kozlov, or this was my last year on the bandwagon. Of course, he gives me that tease just at the end of the year. He wins a challenger title. Now, fully back in. Where are you on his game? Yeah, uh, you're perfectly right that I didn't actually watch Tommy in the juniors. But <laughs> yeah. I think that comparison makes makes quite a lot of sense because they both had, have such unique strokes. They pretty much play like no one else. And that feel is both super important, but at the same time, I feel like it's... It, it's not something you can always just you know go to when you have a booming surf it's just something that stays with you and that that feel that sort of you know it, sometimes it's just not enough you you also mentioned that um uh, you know when when an opponent plays worse he, he plays worse too there's the, this famous tiebreak against Donald Young. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, sure. yeah there, there's like a like a video on YouTube, uh, the worst tiebreak ever yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and it is, it, it truly is that that, that that was really atrocious. Uh, and that, that made me think of that. But uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the serve plus one was actually really good in Columbus, I feel like. And, and it definitely helped him because with, with his style, three points are always you know handy <laughs> and he 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 played three extremely dangerous opponents from the quarterfinals onwards well actually all of the draw was insane like what was it kruger and kubler in the in the first yeah, in his first two matches he got kruger fresh off of a, a carry challenger title the week before and then yeah he got kubler right after that and then he got torpegard and wolf in ohio yeah, both uh, actually Ohio from from the Ohio State, so they played on the very same courts for for for, for the for their whole college careers, and both of them and also Max Purcell in the finals they played like a fantastic first set. Watching that, I actually watched all three of these, and watching that after every single first set, I was like, no, I mean that's over. Yeah. I, I, in middle of the week, I was dead certain that JJ Wolf was going to win the title. Mm -hmm. He he looked by far the best player Especially of the tournament. Especially when he beat Sandgren seven six in yeah. the third. Although I will say, you could tell at the end of that match, his legs were a little bit gone. Like it was like, uh oh, like that that one took a lot out of me. 
Yeah, I, I definitely expected Wolf to win that, but after the second set and then the, the third, he wasn't really looking that good. But, uh, I mean, I, I just never really pictured Kozlov as a challenger winner this year, obviously. But maybe I should have, because honestly, from where he started regularly playing this summer, what was like June, uh, he, he pretty much kept getting one good result after the other. And when, when, when you see it from a guy like Kozlov, who once again has just such unique game style you you don't really expect it to to you know to suddenly dominate the week and he didn't he he actually had to come back from from one set down three times and in every single one of these matches he he basically just had to just show his never give up attitude i guess when watching him like in the past few years honestly i didn't even get the chance to watch him that much because you know itf streams are sometimes there sometimes they aren't and and he wasn't even playing challengers that much and but i feel like maybe the attitude is is something that that's changed it's hard you know hard to say without talking to him or just uh, knowing him but, but but i feel like maybe maybe that's what made him it's really hard to pinpoint what happened this summer suddenly that that he was that he's able to uh i don't know if you if you uh, actually that maybe that's a question more for you because as you said you uh you followed Kozlov's career well, very closely if i may jump in here Damien, uh-huh. and i always appreciate by the way again just the thought you put into each and every player and if our listeners aren't appreciative of that fact every monday Great shot podcast, what he and Jakob are doing. Sincerely, I the reason I bring it up is because I know players I don't want to say they listen to it because I'm I'm sure they don't listen to it, but I know very much they're aware of it because I've gotten notes saying, Hey, I appreciate that you talk about it every Monday. Like that does mean a lot to us that we know someone's covering it week in, week out. And I just love that you have a take that you can go again, there aren't that many people who can do this, Damien. It's like you, Jakob, me, David Gert, Cation could do it if he wanted to, but he's so stubborn about it. But anyways, that's a story for another time. Um but, no, I have a Kozlov story, and look, I say this lovingly. I think it is a story I can share with the public And because, look, it's, it, I get it. No uh, Players are busy. They have things they want to do, and to ask them, hey, come on the podcast. We want to just chat 20, 30, 40, in my case, usually an hour, and talk about your background, talk about all this stuff. I can understand why that might not appeal to all of them. At the same time, so we – I mean, I think I made my fandom of Stefan Kozlov very clear over the years. And so we have had the chance to be like, hey, come on the show. Let's do an interview. I promise I'll make it fun for you. I promise you're going to enjoy someone fanning out about your career and asking you about the 2011, you know, International Spring Championships final you played against Mitchell Kruger that I've seen the video of on from Colette Lewis a thousand times. And I want to ask you about that match in particular and just like – or the one you played against for Tangelo Easter again – those sorts of things. And, like, again, four different times, I'll say. Four different times we've had Stefan Kozlov booked. Four different times he's backed out. And it's just, like, at a certain point when excuse number four is, hey, man, I'm actually trying to focus on my sleep schedule right now, so I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And it's like, dude, we had a 4 p.m. scheduled pod. Like, you could just say I don't want to do it today, and that would be – kinder than to come up with this excuse that i know is just ridiculous and that just doesn't feel like kozlov anymore 
And I know he's a guy who has had expectations on his shoulders since the beginning of his career. I just started out this segment on him by talking about he's the best 12-year-old I've ever seen with a tennis racket. And believe me, I'm not the only one who thought that. And I just think the lumps he's taken over the past few seasons, to your point, Damian, we have a different Stefan Kozlov on court. You look at his results this season, 25-12. and 12. He swallowed his pride. He played challenger qualifying. He went down and played 25Ks, 15Ks, because, quite frankly, that's what his level, that's what his recent results dictated he was forced to do. And just to take those lumps and suffer with all of these injuries and just no longer have everything on a tennis court come so easily to you as it did so frequently throughout his life for Stefan Kozlov, I think invariably that's going to change someone. I think invariably you're going to mature throughout that process. And a mature Stefan Kozlov is f***ing dangerous, Damien. Like, as we saw this week, you mentioned it. It wasn't one three-set victory. It was repeated three-set victories. And that's what Kozlov does is he just breaks you down over time. And, you know, again, it is he can absorb your best strike and take that thing away from you. There's a Medvedevian quality to him, right, where that's sort of what he does. And the difference between he, Daniil Medvedev, and Bernard Tomic, Kozlov's not going to get to six foot six. Those guys hit a growth spurt. Those guys became six foot six. They can hit one-third bombs for serves. Obviously, I'm talking about the very best version of Bernard Tomic, and to put him in the same breath with Daniil Medvedev, I deserve to be slapped in the face. So if you want to do it, to me, I won't stop you. But you understand what I'm yeah, saying, I'm right? Definitely. Like That quality is a shared quality for all three of these guys, and that's just why I have never been able to quit the Kozlov bandwagon because when you watch it in its best form, you just think – as an opponent, well, what the f*** am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do to beat this guy? Because the moment I think I've got him, now come the slices. Or the moment I put a little bit more pace, wait, he's hitting a backhand winner down the line, absorbing, redirecting, and I just think I just think there's this place for that. I just think, like, 23 years old now, physically, he's a little bit better to, uh, able to handle the test. And I think mentally, he's just kind of gotten over it, where it's just like, you know what? I have to suffer, because that's my game style. And I know... That's not a quantitative thing to measure, but that's that was my takeaway from these past few weeks of Cobb's ball. Yeah, mine too, but uh, as I said, I didn't really follow his career yeah, as, did it, as closely did, did you as like that did. anecdote? Does the anecdote work for you? Uh, you feel informed? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like when players simply as you said come up with an excuse instead of saying what's what's the deal yeah. or if they just leave you hanging without an answer like i i i much i really appreciate when someone says sorry but i'm not going to have the time for this or yeah. something like that no worries instead of exactly. just it's yeah just no instead worries. of just for example leaving you without an an answer like they, they say they're gonna do something or come somewhere and just Nothing. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that anecdote fits with my perception of Stefan yeah. Kozlov. I guess, I guess, kind of well. Kind of, well, it's just know, about it's maturing, right. right? Like, I feel like yeah. nowadays he would just be like, you know what? Respectfully, Alex, I just don't, I like, I don't want to do interviews right now. To which yeah. I would say, no worries, my man. Like, versus before when you come up with, I'm working on my sleep schedule. Like, what are we doing <laughs> here? That's what I'm saying. It's just, I think, and again, it's an arbitrary thing. But you could hear, and I think he was on the podcast with Cation and Ruben about a couple of months ago, and they talked about it openly, candidly. And I just think we have seen a maturation from Stefan Kozlov, and it's manifesting itself in better results on court as well. 
Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, one question, I guess, for you, like if you were to compare uh, this run in Columbus to what he played in his prime, whenever that was, like, oh, what's the uh, what's the what's... comparison? It's a great question. No, he's not there yet. Okay. Because, but, okay, he's not there yet. But I think this version of him can be better than that previous version. And here's what I mean by that. There was a freedom he played with as a 16, 17, 18-year-old coming up the ranks where it was just kind of like, it's my time now. Like, no, 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 no. I'm the guy here. I've been the guy in the juniors. I beat the Zverevs. I beat the Tsitsipasas. I am the one uh, to do this. And there was a freedom, and I'm not going to drop another F-bomb in a four-minute span, but an F-U attitude to Kozlov where he just was – from 16 to 18, he was not afraid of anyone. And that allowed him a freedom to try things and a confidence to play his shots and his angles when they were so unexpected, and it just worked because he was riding this wave of confidence, honestly, since he was 10 years old. It was when the first lumps came that the doubt started to creep in. And when you play a game as creative and so predicated on shot making, but not your traditional shot making, but just creating angles and opening up space for yourself and a disciplined creativity, I suppose, when you lose confidence, good luck with that. And I still don't think he's quite that at that level yet where there's just a looseness and a freedom he's playing with. That said... I think this more this tightened up version of Kozlov where instead of playing the drop shot, he's driving the backhand down the line and following it in. Or instead of playing the slice approach, again, it's a drive approach. And just minimizing some of the fluff to get to his bread and butter to create better angles for himself, to focus on plus one opportunities, that's what he needs to do to be a better pro. All of that other stuff is still there. It's still in the tank, but that's just not going to win you week in, week out matches. And so that's why I'd I say he's not quite at that freedom because early in his career he was landing all that crazy stuff. And you're just like, oh, my God, like this kid is incredible. He's not doing that anymore, but the tennis he's playing is far more efficient. I guess that's the word. That's the word. There it is. Took me five minutes. We could have cut all of that out, and I could have just said he's playing much more efficiently now. Um, but leave it all in, Westoff. Yeah, I, that would be my take. I do think, I mean, top 100, I'll flip it on you. Last question, then we're moving on. And I promise we're not going to spend 15 minutes on every player. Uh, but la- last question, top 100 still in this future? Do you see the skills? Yeah, I wouldn't really you know, say that it's impossible. What, what? How far did he get? Like, I want to say, like, yeah, I was going to say, like, 117-ish. Oh, yeah, something like that. Uh, sure. No, I, I, I'm not going to say no. Like, yeah. I, I'm I'm closer to a yes than a no, but with the with the skill set that he has, it's certainly not a given. This is a random take. I forgot to mention this earlier. Here's my comparison for you, and again, you're one of few people I can run it by. The Yuri Lachetchka backhand and the Mikhail Torpegard backhand. I think they're in the same family of backhands, where it's just kind of like lean forward a little bit flatter, but boy, are they good shots. Like that was just because I've watched a lot of them both recently, and I was just like, huh, mm-hmm. hey, there's some similarities there. Um, you're shaking your head as if to say I'm not entirely no, no. wrong. Yeah, because I have some 
for, for like 10 minutes ago, I was thinking of who uh, the, the Lecheczka backhand reminds me of. And it wasn't Torpegard, but it was it was someone else. But it, it was more about the footwork, like maybe yeah. not some leaning forward, but just just how he, you know, the, the steps he takes. I don't, I don't know. I, I just That's can't so interesting can't figure out I was literally I... thinking about that exact same thing as well. <laughs> and I was like, I would say, I wanted to say, you know, Nikola Miljevic, obviously. Yeah, I'm um, sure. Like, Kind of. Okay. Like, okay. Kind, yeah. That, that's kind of. that's better than Torpegard for me. <laughs> I think. Good. Good. I appreciate that. No. All right. With that said, enough Lechechka, enough Kozlov. We have lists of names to get to, and we're going to rapid fire through these lists because I don't want to keep you for more than an hour because I know it's getting late where you are, and I'm really on this bender. Well, yeah, we're going to go it's, over It's absolutely hour. fine. I mean, yeah, we're going to go over an hour. When, yeah, when I schedule sure. a podcast with you, I just know that we're going to go over That's an hour. What makes me so happy and so okay with you saying that because you are not the first guest who have told me that i will even say in the past month um and that they go at the end of it but it's always okay they go but it's fine I'm, i knew i was yeah. planned for more than hours I'm like all right as long as you know when you're okay with it let's rock and roll well, then let's rock and roll to the next guy who we share on our list a former world junior number one a guy who just earned his first challenger title in Diego torante i want to say Diego now 20 years old 21 years old 20? out of yeah, know, something like somewhere that. Somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah, Diego Torante, let's see here. He is currently 20 years old. 20, you are correct. Yeah. Up to number 205 in the uh, 204, excuse me, in the rankings, 205 in the live rankings right now. He's the 15th highest ranked player, age 21 or younger. Uh again, you look at what he's been able to accomplish this season. There's a lot of wins for Diego Torante. Now, all but I think all of them because I think he's 0-2 on hard courts this season and everything else has come on clay courts but unequivocally for Tego Tirante this has been a, a year a step forward for him a year of no, progress that's that that can't be correct actually he played uh the 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 two challengers in Salinas in Ecuador okay uh, I made some deep runs one 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 uh, one week he lost to Nicolas Jari and the other one like he was very good in these two weeks, so he definitely played on hard. He can he can actually play on hard. Last last year he had a couple of ITFs that that were pretty good as well. Uh, I think he was like losing to Laurinas Grigelis like every week. Was mm-hmm. was that Tirante? That there was something like that. That that's um, you are correct. I butchered that. No, yeah. he was playing hard courts at the start of the season. You look for Diego Tirante, fifty four and twenty four. In his last 52 weeks of competition, he did had a run to on the hard court semifinals in Salinas, as you mentioned, back in April. He also made quarterfinals the first week in Salinas, lost to Emilio Gomez, Nicolas Yari, respectively, in those two matches. Uh, matches. He also was in, uh, he was on the hard courts last year uh, in Tunisia, won a futures title on the hard courts, made a couple of semifinals there as well. But, you know, again, I still think the story for him this season has been the success on the clay court in particular, and you look for him. He made a final earlier this season in Triest. He, uh, I believe, semifinals for him in a couple of different locations, quarterfinals in the mix as well. He's just, he's again, been a top 200 sort of guy, and you look for Diego Torante right now in the live rankings. He's currently, as I mentioned, 204 in the live rankings. You look for him in the race to the year-end finals in terms of points accumulated this season, 161. It's a step forward for any 20-year-old. You're now going to get the chance to play slam qualifying. You're going to get the chance to be uh, in every challenger main draw you want to play. 
Curious your thoughts on his game, though. Curious your thoughts on his projection moving forward because I've got some takes. I want to hear you first, though. Okay. So, well, ever since the beginning of the season when we started the the podcast on Monday, I feel like we've been talking about Tiranta a lot. Like, (laughs) always expecting him him to make that sort of breakthrough. Uh, well, we do that. We, we do these winner predictions before the uh, when we preview next next week's events. And I actually picked Tirante to win in in in, in Quito, Ambato, Ambato. The second week was in Ambato. Uh, so we, we were we, uh, me and Jakub are definitely big fans of him. Uh, but yeah, there there are some weird things things here as he. Well, the backhand, also the return, they're, they're really big weaknesses. They're like, like just you, you watch 10 minutes of Tirante and you just see that these are things that can hold him back. But maybe the, the fact that he still manages to keep playing so well, even though he has such obvious things to fix, is also some sort of a, you know, uh, an idea that, that, that maybe he's going to go far. Well, I let, am, me just, let me mm-hmm. just jump in right here. His be- his returns sit in the service box just about every time, Damien. Like, and I would say, I don't want to say 90% because that's way too harsh. But 40% of the time, is he hit enough chop or a slice or just a bump back forehand return, like as opposed to taking a big swing? Because it's a little harder for him to take a big swing on a return of serve, particularly a first serve. I'm looking at the numbers for Tarante, a 27.5 break percentage. That's pretty good. That would be a top 10 number. But A, it's a lot of clay court challenger tennis. And B, to your point, I just like, I do wonder when he makes that next jump or when he starts playing hard court matches, isn't that return to serve just going to get punished every time? I think it might. And the, the last two weeks are obviously on altitude, which yes. is very different, both on Bato and, um, and Quito. But yeah. Jesus, yeah, Quito, uh, we're at over two and a half. Uh, thousand, I think. So yeah, the, the, this week in Lima, he lost first round, but he was coming off a uh, off a title, and this was actually not altitude clay. Like Lima is almost at sea level, but uh, anyhow, uh, even in the the week he won in Ambato, the first two matches he played three sets in each and never broke serve. He he won seven six. 4-6-7-6 against Rodriguez, and then 7-6-3-6-7-6 against um, Gomez Herrera. So uh, basically, he didn't even break serve, and it, it wasn't looking great. Towards the end of the week, uh, his return definitely got better. Uh, but I think what mostly got him the his first title was the performance on serve, actually. Obviously, it was easier on altitude, but still, for example, the final against Varillas, uh, Varias had like one or two breakpoints only in the whole match. It was just a 7-5, 7-5, so straight sets. But I, I think just to be able to do that, to be able to dominate his games so easily, which he also needed in the first two rounds because he never broke serve. So he he, he, he only he could only allow his opponents to break in, in, in one of the sets, in the, in the middle sets. Uh, the, the performance on serve, and especially if he can play a forehand after that, if he can set up... Uh, set up his forehand after the serve. In general, if he can protect that backhand and play <laughs> as much as he can from the forehand, I've been in love with his inside-out forehand because when it, it just feels like when he gets the ball uh, in his backhand corner but has enough time, then he just keeps his opponents 
keep just keeps hitting that cross court uh, forehand inside out and and every single point he just seems to win and that that's been a, a quality that I've been uh, a fan of since well since he broke out on the on the challenger tour last year he was a finalist in Lima, I, I want to say, but I'm not, not not sure. Nope, that's exactly right. He lost to Daniel Golan. Yeah, uh, three sets as well, right? Like three six mm-hmm. in the third. Yeah, that that was that mm-hmm. was a big run for him. And ever since, I've been expecting him to break through, and I'm very happy that he did because, uh, as you said, you're a fan of Kozlov. I am a bit of a fan of Tirante. <laughs> Good. Everyone's got their guy, and you look for Tirante again. Uh, 20 years old, April 10th, he'll turn 21, so he's got some time and. April, I will say, you know, a bunch of April 10th birthdays, so that's one I'm going to put to memory now. But, again, he's played 78 matches, Damien, over the course of the last 52 weeks. That's a legitimate sample size in terms of professional tennis. 54 and 24 during that stretch of time. He's winning two-thirds, a little over two-thirds of his matches. When you're doing that, that's the magic number that has you progress up the rankings. I've done the math before. I've done that on a previous segment when you're winning two-thirds of your challenger matches, you get to start playing ATP 250 qualifying. When you start winning two-thirds of your ATP 250 matches, whether that's a first-round loss mixed in with a championship run, quarterfinals, semifinals repeatedly, that's when you get to the top 50. Obviously, from there, the two-thirds rules continue. He's on the two-thirds rule path. He's absolutely ripped through the challenger ranks this year. And again, I mentioned it over the last 52 weeks. You look uh, for Diego Torante and the success he's able to have. He's made, I believe it's 11 quarterfinals during that stretch of time. So what he's played like 26, 27 total events to make 11 quarterfinals. That's the sort of run you're looking for. That's winning two-thirds of your matches. Of course, you mix in the fact that, again, he's made eight different semifinals, five of them at the challenger level. You look for him now. He wins his first challenger title as well. It's definitely the sort of steady progress you'd like to see. At the same time, I could tell you to to a shot what Diego Torante is going to do in each and every point that he plays. And it's going to start with the kick serve. And I will say, some people are just blessed by God with that sort of shoulder. Diego Torante has one of those shoulders, right? Where it's just like, oh man, and the toss is so simple. And you just, you know the kick serve's coming, and yet he can hit it. Like, when I'm doing my list of kick serves, I know it's a, I'm definitely going to miss some people. But the underappreciated best kick serves on tour, you tell me where if, if this rankings are correct. Yannick Hoffman's number one. Yannick's... I wanted to say yeah, that. No, Hoffman, I was going to yeah. beat you to it. Yannick's kick serve on clay is f***ing nuts. Like, yep. it is so good. And I just... I would watch, like, a 10-minute video of just him successfully serving and volleying and hitting that kick serve uh, on clay because it's just different than anyone else. Is Nuno two? Nuno's on the list. He's on the list of, like, those guys who it's just like, how do you do... I mean, Jack Sock, duh. But, like, the, the, you know, there's a list of guys. They're on it. Toronto's close to that list because just the way the pop he's able to create and just you can see the ball explode off of the clay immediately. And it is up by the shoulder, if not an opponent's head. That just sets up everything he wants to do. He has time to run around, play the first forehand. And as you mentioned, inside out, inside out, inside out, inside in. 
You know it's coming. Like, you know it's coming, and yet his ability to execute on that shot, his fluidity as a mover on a clay. This is a guy who was clearly born on the surface. He slides into his shot. It's not slides out of them, and that's the difference between a good and a great mover on clay. The great ones slide into their shots and then recover. The, the good ones have to slide out of it and then use their footwork to make up for it in other places. I mean, he's got that skill at the same time. I'm trying to remember what match it was. I don't remember which one I was watching. But I was charting it in my head, Damien, and 22 consecutive backhands landed inside the service line. 22 of them. Now it's clay court tennis, so you can get away with it. But you can't get away with it at the ATP. Like, again, I I made this joke earlier. Diego Torante's going to have a South American stretch where he rips into a quarterfinal, you know, in the South American clay court stretch where it's a, a quarterfinal in Sao Paulo and then a, a final over in Chile or just whatever it's going to be. He's going to have one of those runs, whether it's 2022, whether it's 2023, it's going to happen at some point. But looking beyond that, like, does that kick serve translate to hard courts? Does that forehand translate to hard courts, even with hard courts, clay courts, grass courts, all playing more similarly now than they have ever before? You're the expert. You answer that question for me. What do you need? To, I from, from Toronto, I just need to see a little bit more. I just need to see a second play. Like, I, he's a good mover, fine at turning defense to offense, but I know his plus one pattern. I know exactly what he's going to do. And it's a bit predictable. And I do think that's an issue, particularly on a faster surface, particularly as the level of competition increases. Yeah, the truth is I, I have no idea if it's yeah. going to cut it at, at the ATP level, honestly. On clay, it's likely that it will. Yeah. He's played some extremely good players this year, like, for example, Varias in the, in the, in the finals recently. Uh, who else did he play that could be like around this level? I know I'm blanking on anyone right now, but he he played actually well, the, the match against Kike is maybe not a... Well, I was going to say, so I have yeah. the numbers in front of me, so I can give that to you now. Diego Torante this season, or in the last 52 weeks, he's played two top 100 opponents. It was a three-set loss for him against Travaglia on the clay in uh, a, a challenger. He also played Buenos Aires earlier this season. Oh, yes. Against Yeah, against Dom Kofer. And look, I mean... Three sets against your two top 100 opponents on clay, to your point, kind of is already right in front of us. He's going to be fine on clay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, you're right. Who knows, really? I, I guess what I'm asking is, is the forehand serve combo elite enough that he's going to be able to still win points as easily on serve on a non-high-bouncing clay court surface? In challengers, I think it's very possible. Like okay. the, the the level he had in Salinas, also in Orlando, I think he defeated Kozlov. Like obviously that yeah. was at the very beginning of the of the summer stretch for Kozlov. But at back at Salinas, I, I remember I was super impressed with how he performed on hard. Also the ITF runs that that we had last year. Uh, in Salinas, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I, I don't actually remember that, but he defeated guys like Altuk Chalik Bilek. Mm-hmm. Who's definitely been another breakout this season? On and well, Jadik Bilek plays basically only on hard courts. Uh, that that match against Jari in Salinas was excellent as well. Uh, I, I guess at ATP level, it's always going to be a struggle, but I I, I think he can do just fine in challengers. The point is, in challengers, he barely has like he he won't really have to play on hard courts <laughs> because, for example, right now it's 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 actually. 
well, he's been playing in clay courts challengers since like July or whatever, basically probably even even further back. But right now, uh, we know the calendar until the week that starts the, on the 15th of November, and there's going to be a South American clay court challenger in every single week. Uh, there's even going to be in October. There's there's that one week where there is Bogota and uh, Buenos Aires. So basically, you can just go to the you can just go to South America. Well, Tirante in his case it's home obviously, but you can just go there and play clay court challengers every single week. So he basically has like ten clay court challengers left to play until the end of the season, which is absolutely huge and something that could bring him a lot of ranking spots up so i'm just not sure if in in near future he's even going to play hard courts yeah just the, uh, australian no, open qualities i guess yeah no that's... he doesn't need to that's the thing and that's another reason why we wanted to bring him up with all those events he is very yep. well positioned uh to give himself an opportunity to make a jump put himself right by that top 100 uh come the start of 2022 and then as we mentioned he's got futures points to defend at the start of the year and then we start to get into the serious challenger stuff as we hit march april and so will be interesting to see where Toronto goes uh at the start of next season uh all right from here the names get interesting i'm gonna go first just because you mentioned this guy when talking about Toronto. Juan Pablo Varias, who, of course, is my birthday brother, so I'm always going to enjoy him. <laughs> Shout out October 6, 1995. Everything he does, I feel like I'm doing as well. I made this joke on a previous podcast, but I feel like the gods decided, all right, one of you is going to be able to run fluidly on the court, and run of you, one of you is going to be able to run your mouth fluidly about the court. And I was like, all right, I'll take the mouth. Um, but you look for Varias, obviously made the final last season, uh, last season, last week, excuse me, uh, before getting knocked out. But you look for the 25, uh, soon to be 26-year-old. Uh, that was an easy number to remember, by the way. I was like, wait, how old am I? I was like, all right, I'm 25, soon to be 26. Yeah, so that's how old he is as well. Uh, it was a really good week for him, and it's been a good season overall. 37-22 and 22 in his last 50 two weeks you want to look here in 2021 specifically 35 and 17 overall up to a new career high of number 117 in the live rankings he was a guy who did have some success this year in the south american swing makes the round uh quarterfinals excuse me at the atp event in santiago was able to play qualifying get a win in qualifying in cordoba and buenos aires but wasn't able to make the main draw however qualifies in hamburg makes a round of 16 there uh, he's put himself in a really nice position, Damien, uh, to make a run at the start of 2021. Now you look for him overall, I believe he's made three different challenger finals, one title for him across those three challenger finals that came in Biela Part 5 uh, back in May. But I like the game of Juan Pablo Varias, and it is worth mentioning his results entirely. He was the one, excuse me has played just two non-clay court matches this season. Lost first round of the Olympics, 5-4, and four, to Diego Schwartzman. Lost first round qualifying to Zhijian Zhang, 6-1, 6-1 in Wimbledon qualities. Everything else has been on clay for him. But as you mentioned, a bunch of challengers in South America down the home stretch. 117 in the live rankings right now. He's about a challenger title away from the top 100, Damien. We could see a Juan Pablo Varias appearance there this season, I wouldn't complain about it, would you? Obviously not. I mean, it wouldn't be strange yeah. at all. Back in 2019, he had that fantastic late surge, sort of, mm -hmm. in, in, in South America, where he won 
two in a row, I think it was, and he was trying to repeat that that thing that Christian Gary did. Uh, free, uh, I think it was Campinas, uh, something, and it had to f- finish in Lima because Garin in 2018 won uh, three challengers in a row in South America. Obviously, look at where Christian Garin is right now. Varias almost did that, but had a very weak campaign in 2020. But I'm I'm very glad to see him coming back to you know coming back to his best tennis. Actually, I think you missed one. Um, at the US Open uh, qualies, he lost to Zizou Bergs, but that's still 0-0-3 zero, zero uh, for his uh, anything besides hard courts, and that's an actual yeah, it, player. Uh-huh. You're right, I did miss it, by the way. That's exactly it, but exact, exactly, to your point, 0-3 still. Yeah, this is actually a guy that will struggle on other surfaces. <laughs> like, it, it, in the case of Tiranta, we we are a bit unsure, and in the case of Varias, we can already see that it's going to be an issue, but Again, I mean, actually, once you said it, I kind of like the odds on him getting to the top 100 this year. Because Mm -hmm. with all the clay court events that these guys are still going to get, you know, 10 or 11 weeks, he can just... These these are insane amounts. Like, most of these events are challenger 80s, I think. But it's still 48 points for for a final, 29 for, for a semifinal. So you can actually get incredible... Uh, you know, an incredible amount of, of ranking spots up. I think Varias has a really good shot at at making the top 100. Pretty much anyone who's there, because it's pr- probably going to be this, the same players <laughs> throughout these 10 weeks, I imagine. And pretty much any any player that is there when went there for some for for a reason. Like the, they enjoy the conditions, they enjoy. Uh, the South American clay. So I think everyone involved can can really go up because of that, just because it, of how easy for it's going to be for them to, mm-hmm. to just keep no, playing consecutive I- weeks. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's exactly it, and it'll be interesting to see which Americans, which Europeans decide to make that trek, right, and stay there for a month and decide to play all those events and suffer being away from home for that long, even if you are going to take a couple of first-round loss lumps over the course of the four weeks, but... I guess for him, for my birthday brother, Juan Pablo Varias, the only problem is there are some 2019 points coming off the books, and that is worth mentioning as he tries to make that push towards the top 100. That said, again, if Fan, or FanDuel, DraftKings comes to you right now, Damien, and they say, I guess, you're, I don't know if you're big in a, a big odds guy, but they say it's, you know, plus 150, he does make the top 100, minus 150, he does not. What do you take? My issue is that I do not understand the American odds system. <laughs> like, okay, so it's like a, a 150. Okay. So it's like, again, if you bet a euro, uh-huh. you win a fit 150 in return. Okay. You have to bet 150 to win one if he doesn't make it. I don't know. As you said, I mean, there are Damien's so deep in thought. Yeah, now. there are so <laughs> yeah. many points coming off. I'm actually trying to see right now, like when in, because it's go. I think it's all going to be in like five weeks. I want to see yeah. how many points he's gonna have. And there's that 
fantastic website that will allow me to. So I, I was going to say, so I have it in front of me Ooh. now. Here we go. 2019, end of the Ooh. season for him. He won. Ooh. He has a challenger title, end of September, coming off this week. Another challenger title, our birthday week, 2019. A semifinal after that. Another semifinal after that. That is tough. Yep. That is a lot of points for Juan Pablo Barrios. I would take the odds for no, I think, because he has 618 points right now. And in five weeks, it's going to be just 450 yeah, and that, that doesn't tough. look good because 450 is like, what, 170 probably? Yeah, no, that's like uh, that. Again, he's got the opportunity to defend a lot of those points, but he's going to have to defend okay. them all just to keep his location. It's about so 155, is... but I mean, in, in, in terms of points, to be the number, you know, to be number 100 in the world, you actually need to be 700, uh, at 758 this week. Uh, which is where so he needs to essentially win three of the challengers yeah is what you're gain like gain like 300 points i i checked and every every single one of them is a challenger 80 so yeah basically he would need to win like three and make semis of the other two yeah exactly it's hard yeah i i I would definitely take the odds for no in that case all right We'll put a little cool. It will cool off. Yeah, dump a little water on the fire. That is uh, the pop Juan Pablo Varias to the top 100 train. But all right, give me some of your names, Damien. Who are the players you're watching closely? Have we even gotten to anyone on your list other than Tirante? Uh, no, we just had Tirante. But actually, we we kind of talked about him because I, I I went I looked at the different circuits that we have mm-hmm. and like I uh, I had one from the South American. Uh, challengers, which was Tirante. I've got one from American challengers, which you know, obviously aren't going to be as uh, overwhelming as the South American tour, but there are going to be a couple events. And I've got three from Europe. And the one from America I had was actually JJ Wolf, which I mean, we mentioned him when we talked about Kozlov. But basically, well, the reason I, I, I had him is that his results post-surgery haven't been great, but I think it's all very, just very deceptive. Like, he, he's been playing well, but not getting the results because of tough draws, mostly. Like, imagine not playing for half a year, coming back after surgery, and then getting Nakashima and Isner in your, yeah, <laughs> in your first like, two events. Yeah, it's like, what the hell, man? With Wildcard, and Sandgren so, so. in a quarterfinal of a challenger. You're like, how did I get Sandgren here? What happened here? Yes, also losses to Marcos Giron, uh, Francis Tiafoe. That these aren't bad at all. Like, mm-hmm. and and his his level is really good right now. As you mentioned, maybe the, the the fitness is still a bit of an issue because of that because of how he looked in that in that third against Sandgren. And he actually had a very easy uh, first two rounds, so 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 you know he he really didn't have an a reason to be to be that exhausted. But if there there are a couple of these American challengers left, like Champagne, Las Vegas. I mean the the, the entry lists aren't out yet, but I imagine that's what JJ is going to play in in the upcoming months. And if he plays like in Columbus, I uh, I feel like he can definitely be. You know, in the running to to win these, I I still love his intensity, like the the way he kind of jumps into the shots. Like he he's I think he's basically the only player who is not really moving around the court. He's just jumping around the court. No, and 100%. when when he's on, it's it, it's wonderful to watch, and I, oh. I would definitely love to see him play that well again as he did in in two thousand twenty. 
as you mentioned, we just haven't seen a lot of J.J. of late, but I mean the forehand, and I believe it was an appendix issue for him that had him out for mm-hmm. so long, and an ab issue, but you look for him, I mean, yeah, the, watch him play. The serve, the forehand on a hard court, they're ATP-level weapons, right? It's just, I don't care who the opponent is, if he gets a clean look at a forehand, he's going to make you suffer. Now, 8-11 and 11 in his last 52 weeks, he just hasn't played a lot of tennis. And as you mentioned, you look for the losses for him. The loss to Kozlov, three sets, losses to Giron and Tiafo and Elias Emer, John Isner, Brandon Nakashima. I don't think any of those losses are bad. Like, I don't think yeah, he can look Aymer at Aymer is the only one that's, uh, yeah, like, it's mesh. it's not great, but, but, yeah, exactly. But still, it's, yeah, you're <laughs> right. That's probably the one. And just outside of that, we were wondering, we want to see him play against top 100 opponents because we did see 2019, start of 2020, his best at the challenger level was good enough on hard courts. And I'm fascinated to see him play on clay courts as well. That's still something we have yet to see from J.J. Wolf. And his upside on the ATP Tour very much depended on his ability to develop clay court skills. That said, unlike Vrias or Tarante or even Kozlov, where you're just like, what exactly is it going to look like if it works? I think it's much more like Lechechka. For J.J. Wolf, where you're just like, no, 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 it's going to be the first serve, it's going to be the first forehand, he's going to be aggressive, he's going to be moving forward, taking the ball on the rise, 20 to 30 shot rallies is never going to be his bread and butter, but if he keeps things simple and he's on his front foot, he can just take it to anyone. I agree with you, it's just worth remembering, with all of the Brooksby, Nakashima, Korda hype, you know, you you throw them in with the Fritz, Paul, Opelka, Tiafo group. You know, don't forget about the Kozlovs of the world. Don't forget about the Michael Moes. Don't forget about the J.J. Wolfs as well. I even throw Will Blumberg in the mix there. Just Kovacevic, trust me. Like, those guys who are fresh out of college, they're all coming. There's a nice depth. There's a new class of Americans who are about to take on the ATP Challenger Tour. You know, with all due respect to these guys who I consider friends, Ty Kwiatkowski, J.C. Aragoni, uh, you know, that generation of college player, we kind of know what they are. We've seen them compete at the Challenger Tour. And yes, those guys will continue to get better. But these new guys, you know, up in their sample size, I think they're going to have success. And I think, obviously, J.J. has already had success. Just don't forget about him just because he's been injured, right? Yeah, you mentioned Kovacevic there, and actually I, I could have easily put him on my list if I didn't forget yeah, about him. Yeah, you like it? You like <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, oh, Jesus. That, actually, Kovacevic and Galarno were both these these guys that often yeah, came from the... Uh, often came to Challenger Tour while they were playing college. I don't actually, you know, follow college tennis that much, I just like know the basics. Don't worry, you'll, so start I knew... this, you'll start this season as part of the Crack Rackets team. Don't worry, we'll get you in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just, uh, you know, I knew from which school they were, and that was pretty much all. But whenever they came to the Challenger, the, to the Challenger Tour, they were so competitive. And Galarno, since, you know, I've been, uh, I don't know if that forehand has that pop to, to really to really be a factor at ATP Tour level, probably not at Challengers. He's been sort of, but then again, for he had that loss to Hugo Grenier, for example, like three or three weeks ago when he won one game and it really, it really didn't look good. While Kovacevic keeps being super impressive. Uh, he, he had that fantastic loss to, fantastic loss, but it was great to Denis Kula no, uh, recently sure. and also that win over Bonzi. 
uh, who I may want to talk about a bit later. <laughs> but, He's on my list. Good. He's on uh, my list. Okay, we'll go yeah. there next. We'll go there next. Yeah. So uh, that that win uh, at the at the U.S. Open qualies was excellent as well. And he's the guy that's uh, similar to Wolf, I guess, although he doesn't have that sort of jumping intensity. But he also has just insane weapons from both wings and the serve as well. Mm-hmm. No, I. It's just so easy. You see Kova's pop, and you're just like, oh, yeah, there's a place for that on the Pro Tour. I don't know where yet, but there's definitely a place for it. And just, yeah, it's super, super impressive. Here's a name for you just to keep in mind. Adrian Boyten. Just trust me, okay? Just trust me. Next summer, he's going to – he's going – I don't want to say win a challenge. Although he could win a challenge. I just – just trust me. Adrian Boyten won singles at Baylor, made the finals of the Champagne Future, made the semifinals next week in Little Rock. Just – Keep your eye out for him, and then uh, I just want you to when you notice him. Um, that's Shang one. Well, yeah, that the sixteen-year-old, right? World junior number one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That he just won. Uh, yeah, and he beat Boitan in the semifinals. Yeah. Funny enough, I know but... him as I know Boitan as a name. Like I, yeah. I, I recognize his name from exactly. ITF draws, but I, I haven't, I have never seen him. Actually. You'll see, but he'll make a big jump. I mean, obviously, August Holmgren looked damn good mm-hmm. in yep. San Diego. There's a lot of talented players right now in college to keep an eye out for. But we'll do that a different time. Let's end with the Europeans. Benjamin Bonzi, 21 straight wins. Was that the third longest challenger streak? Is that what Josh said, I believe, on Twitter? That today? was I in, say third. in a single season. So Yeah, it's... third longest challenger win streak in a single season. Yeah. Uh, Second, actually, sorry, because that was uh, he was tied with Takao Suzuki. Uh, so that That's was, what it was. Yeah, that was second. Was. Yeah. yeah, so they're tied for second. Twenty-one wins, freaking ridiculous. Six challenger titles this year, tied for the record, freaking ridiculous. Top seventy player this season, uh, built almost essentially on or entirely on challenger level success. What do you win three in a row? Is it three in a row, I want to say? Or two in a row? It's actually four. Uh, It's four, but there was a bit of a break between uh, Segovia. Segovia was the Spanish one, I think so. And then there was a bit of a break, and then he won three in a row. Uh, oh, yeah. He had losses in the in the meantime, but at at Toronto and at US Open qualities, yeah, yeah, not the challenger mm-hmm. level. But actually, and I just mm-hmm. want to say, case in point, go watch the Rindernesh match he played in that final run to the title in that third week, where he was just mm-hmm. kind of out of gas, and yet he took it to Rindernesh. Like the first two tiebreaker sets they played after losing that first set seven six to Rindernesh, I forget what semifinal it was in or wherever it was. But Ren? it was like. A, yeah, it was like a 12, I think it was even a 14-12 or a 12-10 sort of decision in that break. Ah, you mean, uh, and, oh, sorry, you mean the the final at the beginning of the year? No, 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 it ran. I yeah, ran? Yeah. Uh, it was 7-6-6-7, uh-huh. right? I did, uh, yeah, 7-6-6-7-6-1, seven, six, six, seven, six, six, I, I can't remember the yeah. tiebreak, okay, sorry. And so, or 6-7-7-6-6-1, seven, seven, six, six, but so, Rinderdash wins that first set, and Bonzi had set points, and it just felt like he could have gone away there, but like, you know what? I've won 19 straight matches or whatever it is. I've won 16 straight matches. I'm good here. He didn't. And he just, I mean, he's been excellent this season, Damien. I don't know what else to say. He has been that good. And yet I do wonder, when do we see the jump to the ATP level? When do we see him leave his comfort zone? Because I understand the allure. We know it's more fun than losing first round, winning six titles. And so like it's working from a points perspective, but at a certain point, 
I mean, he's going to be 60 in the world next year, and he's probably still going to play a challenger-only schedule, like at this rate. But no, it's just like, <laughs> when does he start making that jump? Do you make the pivot in 2022? Do you keep, you know, while it's working for you at the challengers this year, do you stay there? And just, again, what have you thought of his success? Where do you go from here? Yeah, I, I was thinking about it, like how many challengers will he actually play this year? So I didn't know if to include him or not, but I guess we were certain that he's going to play Muller on Le Captif next next week. And then, uh, well, so far what we know of the entry is like the, the week where there's Vienna and St. Petersburg on the main tour. He signed up for both and it looks likely that he's going to get into, into one of them. So he's not going to play challengers in, in that week. I'm also assuming he would play Stockholm. Like honestly, I'm I, I'm just expecting that next week is going to be the last one, mm-hmm. like the the last chance for the seventh record title. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking at his results right now because I want to you know, kind of go over what he's done on the main tour this year because it's, it's been so disappointing for me like looking at at what he at how good he's been at challengers and he actually started the season with a 6-0-6 to loss to Quentin Alice in in Australia in the Australian Open qualities which is you know just just off topic but it's it's a shock completely uh but they had that uh by the way uh, talking about Bonzi and Rindernek they had that brilliant final at the beginning of the season in Istanbul mm-hmm. that was the first challenger of the year and it's been a foreshadowing of of what they were going to do. Uh, the, the quality was really good there. I, I remember writing a piece uh, last year on the top 10 matches of the Challenger season or something like that. And if I do it again, then I'm definitely including that there. But anyhow, to my point, uh, in Montpellier, he, uh, he played David Goffin. And it's obviously not a bad loss. But he really had his chances there. Then he lost to Ebden in Marseille. That's something you would expect him to win, actually, like like looking at how he played. Then you have uh, a very winnable match against Gianluca Mager in Belgrade. That's also something he could win. Mm-hmm. Against Kachanov in Lyon, he played a very good match and once again came up short. He came very close against Pedro Martinez at Parma. Uh, the French Open against Bagnis, that was a disappointment, but he was... Well, sort of outplayed there. That was straight sets. And the first, like, remotely good event that he had on the main tour this year was Wimbledon. And honestly, the, the first round against Tru- Marco Trujeliti is not someone he should be losing to or barely losing to on grass. Yeah. And I, I I was kind of disappointed at that, but then he played a fantastic match against Chilich. So it was, it was pretty weird. Mm-hmm. But then recently... You've had all these amazing challenger runs, 21 wins in a row, and he loses to Daniel Gallan on hard courts in Toronto. That's fairly weird to me. Like, I, I just don't understand how he's not able to make that jump because the players he's losing to in main tour events, well, rather main tour qualifying for that, for, you know, in these particular cases, but they aren't players who. Are not, who are just you know main tour competitors and aren't playing the challenger tour at all. Like he's beating them on the challenger tour, but then he's losing to them in main tour qualities. And I I, I guess for me, obviously that the loss to Rusev Wari recently was only fatigue. Like he retired after the first set. But I guess the point that I have to make is just that it has to happen at some point. Like because he's not when when he's playing tour level right now, he's not losing to players that. I don't know. Uh, he's not losing to Stefano Tsitsipas. He's losing to, to players he's otherwise beating in other weeks on the Challenger Tour. So I guess it, at some point it will just have to even out. Wonders, and I, wonders, I, you know. Is it mental? Is it mental? Like that's 
you have to ask yourself because physically, you're right. He's a different player at the challenger level than he is when he's playing in these ATP Tour matches. And just the aggression he played with with Rindernesh, even when he was down in that second set tiebreaker and facing the brink of elimination, it didn't matter. He was like, eh, I'm good. I'm going to keep attacking. I'm going to put pressure on these guys. And I don't think it's a thing where, like, well, his serve is 118 miles per hour, which is just effectiveness for the Challenger Tour, but not effective enough for the ATP Tour. It's not like that. His game should translate across surfaces, across level. There's a smoothness to it. He's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I yeah, agree. I think, it's, I, it's fascinating. I think actually the what he said going for his shots is actually kind of new this year for him. Yeah. I, I I I often I always recognized him as a as a good defender as a good counter puncher. He obviously still has that. He covers the court extremely well. Uh, his passes on the run. I was actually yesterday I was going through my computer just doing some cleaning up and I I, I watched numerous clips of Benjamin Bonzi passing on the run from with his forehand and it was absolutely glorious and he still has that. And I believe he had that last year as well. But what he added this year is, first of all, the serve is mm-hmm. a lot more dangerous. And mm-hmm. then, then in general, the, the attacking options, how he can... Uh, the backhand up the line is, is absolutely excellent. He can just redirect so easily. And I, I think that's what helped him take that extra step. But then again, did he take that extra step? (laughs) No, it remains to be seen. And so I agree. It's going to be fascinating because with his ranking now, he can go play ATP 250 events. He doesn't need to play challengers anymore. And there are always opportunities to do that at the end of the season. So I agree. He's one to watch. I know you have more names on your list. I have some more names on mine. I think what we're going to do is I might just have to bring you back, and we'll do a part two of this either next week or something else and continue uh, to go on with names. But uh, I feel like that is a good place to hit because we've hit a bunch of different guys who are at different, whether it's the youngsters like Lechechka, whether it's a Bonzi, a Varias, a Tarante. Give me – because I know you had two more European names. If you want to throw them out there and then any final thoughts as well, things you'll be watching – Go for it. Uh, yeah, it's nothing nothing that I really need to talk about. One of them is Nicolas Kuhn, mm-hmm. uh, well, who's basically suddenly started playing up to his potential, sort of yeah. like Kozlov, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Like that, that he was extremely good, maybe not in juniors, but uh, you know, in that early, in his no, early 16, days as a 17 pro. years old. Yeah, he was exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. Like he 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 didn't actually have the, that much success in juniors, but he was excellent in the pros already at that point. But I think he was still like number five in juniors or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically uh, he's suddenly playing well again, and that's that's what I also wanted to mention because I'm definitely going to be looking at him. He's going to play uh, Flavio Cobaldi tomorrow. Uh, yeah, obviously I don't even. It's probably Murcia. Like uh, honestly, when there are five different challenger events, I just don't even know which one, which one I'm, yeah. which one I'm watching. Especially as there are three European clay court ones. So the, these Murcia, Lisbon, and Sibiu just get all mixed up in my of head. Course. But I'm, I'm assuming Kuhn is playing in Murcia, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he he had that fantastic run in Szczecin, and uh, which was very impressive for me. Also because I was there in person, and, <laughs> and I don't think I would be. Uh, so excited about Kuhn if I just saw it from the stream, but he he had a back injury in the semis when he was leading 5-2 against Danek Kolash, who ended up winning the title, and I I honestly think that Kuhn showed the the highest level of anyone there. 
So I, I believe that loss was only due to his the workloads that that he uh, like, like the the injury probably came from the workload because uh, it was only his second time winning consecutive matches since like February 2020, and because he had to qualify like six matches in a week, he he hadn't played that in forever. So I'm assuming that was the case. But uh, yeah, I, I was supposed to uh, to you know just be short with this. So the other guy ahead was no, Franco. No, please, no, take your time. No, please, again, don't all the time you need. When I said final thoughts, I meant. This is your moment. The monitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I'm just excited to see if he can keep of that course. level. The the second mm-hmm. round against Horansky, uh, that wasn't today. That was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, basically, in the in the first set, he played that very aggressive baseline game, game again. And mm-hmm. then sort of resorted to maybe something that I was used to seeing him from uh, from him recently. So I'm really curious how that uh, how that match against Koboli pans out uh, tomorrow. He also has a new coach. Uh, I'm not sure how long they've been working with each other, but uh, yeah. Javier Fernandez is his name, and he uh, basically it looks like it's working. And I, I talked to Kuhn in in Stettin, and he told me that he recently started pushing harder, like working harder, and that he also focused on his fitness. Um, I I uh, I didn't you know in, in the heat of the moment I didn't really think of asking like what was stopping you before like why why weren't you working hard before and yeah. I, I have no idea about that but it seems like something has changed in his attitude and that it's also connected with the coach uh, so that that's someone that that we that uh, you know, the listeners and and we should definitely watch. Uh, in the upcoming weeks to see because uh, so to see if he can still if he can bring that level from Szczecin again because I mean no one has to be convinced that Nikola Kuhn is a top talent but mm-hmm. he, you know the past two years have been rough awful yeah 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 exactly um all right no I like that name that's one give me two uh, yeah, the other one, I uh, honestly, I had four in the beginning, and then you said five <laughs> in the message, and I was like, hmm. And I came up with uh, someone uh, that already won 13 titles this year, which is absolutely sick, and it's Franco Agamemnone. Yeah, I know you are on the Agamemnone uh, bandwagon. Um, am I on the bandwagon? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, the whole run sort of seems for me like... Uh, a Radu Albot kind of deal. Uh, I'm not sure. sure, if you, if sure. You know it's a good cop. No, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that that uh, obviously every single pro player. Well, maybe not every single, but has knows how to play the game. And then for for whatever reason, like for a year or two, they just randomly peak. They're fantastic, mm-hmm. but then they gradually decrease to what they played before. Sure. Like Agamemnon is probably not going to decrease to what he played before because. Before this year, he actually had just two challenger main draws in singles, mm-hmm. which is absolutely stupid Not when you look enough. at yeah. and when you look, you know, at, at how he's doing this year. And when when I when I think that, like, when I uh, realized that Franco Agamemnone is like almost certainly going to play Australian Open qualies, that's absolutely mm-hmm. sick. He's like 230th right now. And basically defending nothing. He's also in the quarters this week. That's actually this one. I know it's Sibiu, and I can't remember who he's playing tomorrow. But anyhow, uh, well, it's a very interesting story because he got a doping ban. Like mm-hmm. what was it? I think March 2019 to January 2020. He was banned. Then he switched nationalities because he, uh, you know, he he started representing Italy. 
and suddenly this fantastic run came and he's on seven yeah. seven titles in singles this year uh, which is five uh, five ITFs these are uh, three 15ks and two 25ks mm -hmm. and six in doubles these are actually all uh, these are actually all uh, ITFs um, most of them with Piotr Matuszewski but also some other two guys and basically i think the the, the big match for Agamemnone even though he had an insane amount of wins i think he won 59 matches in the first six months of the season he sort of proved that it is possible to just jump from itfs to challengers in in in, a, in some very short time despite not even playing any challengers but he but you need to win this many matches like someone like Agamemnon can do it probably Litu is going to to do it soon mm -hmm. but but, uh, but Agamemnon won that uh, that one challenger 50 event in Prague which honestly you know, it, it's an event of a lesser mm -hmm. category the field was sort of depleted like you could you could say okay it's the, the field is probably similar to what he had on on the ITF tour but then he played in Kiev and everyone was expecting him to just lose the final to bias very easily he went down one five and suddenly outplayed a guy who he won in straight doesn't lose yeah play court match exactly. Yeah, exactly the guy who's been so dominant on the challenger tour this mm -hmm. year and that was i guess the match where uh it was just the moment of realization that this guy isn't just going to we uh, you know be good in these draws that sort of look like itfs that he can actually you know keep up with the very best of, that the challenger tour has to offer and i i have no idea how far he, it's going to take him because he honestly like game wise he doesn't have that that sort of know something that the the x factor that sure. you look at like sure. what we talked about i don't know kovacevic whose game is so raw like it is you just see or tirante even you, you see flows you see things that don't work that well but you just see that insane potential and agamemnona he's 28 i mean <laughs> obviously he's he's not he's not another I don't know. He's not Carlos Alcaraz or or someone yeah, else, exactly. Holger Rune, who's gonna break out in 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 a, in a month or two. But uh, I I just am very excited to watch him. Well, on the Challenger Tour still this year, but especially at Australian Open qualies because I feel like that's going to be the huge test of whether he can actually do something in realistically at tour level or maybe at at the best challenger uh, tour events he's play i think he's played some hard courts this year he won he won two itfs i think so so he's probably not completely uh, you know completely clay oriented but i i've got i've really got no idea how far this guy can go and that's what excites me like when i <laughs> when, yeah. when you just watch someone and you know they're not they're not gonna do much or i don't know you're you're you know that's mm -hmm. that no you, you just know everything yeah. about them it's not that exciting and Gagamanona is just a riddle that is not yet solved yeah yeah no that's how i feel about kozlov yeah exactly the same way so i completely understand your sentiments and again it just speaks to how many exciting players there are right now on the ATP Challenger Tour that it feels like there's a list of 10 that we've left off. Like, <laughs> I could go back on the Kasper Zouk bandwagon. Why hasn't Kasper Zouk's success from early in the season translated to a late-season push? These are all things we're wondering. And, you know, all things we can save for another podcast because I see you intrigued right there. You're like, oh, I could do five minutes on Zouk. But I think we are going to leave things here. And, of course, all of our listeners know 
You can read Damien's work on our website, crackrackets.com. You can hear him every Monday on the Great Shot Podcast. He and Jakob Bobro breaking down each week's ATP Challenger Tour action. Uh, just real quick, Damien, for all the fans at home who don't know, where can they follow you on Twitter? And any fun ideas, anything I should be aware of? I've, I've got, obviously, some other article thoughts. If you want to do an article on Agamemnon, I would read it. I'll just say that. Okay, that, that, that's an interesting idea. Uh, the, he's playing again. Well, he's playing well this week. Or again, just a so list of Agamemnon's. Who are the 28-year-olds who still have top 100 breakthrough? In, like oh, him, Mitchell Kruger, Bjorn. Like I would Mitchell read Kruger, like the guys okay. who you think 27, 28 years old haven't cracked the top 100, but still yet. We'll call it the Agamemnon Awards. That is very interesting. I, I'm going to have to look at who's 27, yeah. who's 28. This is but how that, we that, do it at Cracked Rackets, folks. We that just sounds do it great, live actually. on the podcast. Yeah, that's how yeah. we decide. Yeah, that's how we decide things. <laughs> yeah, but Mitchell Kruger is a very good shout. Yeah, if I yeah. if I write uh, if I write it this way, then then he's certainly in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the question again? Because yeah, I, I, again, Twitter. Where can they find you? Oh yeah, my Twitter is just my uh, name, which I'm assuming is in the byline, anywhere. So yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, as always, Damien, we appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Be safe. Be healthy. I think we will chat with you again next week. So I've got some other challenger thoughts still in mind. Yep, that's great. Looking forward to it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Kust. As I mentioned at the top, you can read his article on Yuri Lechechka right now by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. You can read his breakdown of the other young Czechs on tour, the many talented young Argentinians. Read his thoughts on other players who have had success at the challenger level all season long and so much more. Of course, I'm going to do a better job of getting him on our other podcast, not just his Monday ATP Challenger recap show with Jakob Bobaro, but of course, if you are a Challenger Tour fan, you will not want to miss those episodes each and every Monday. Of course, if you're looking for the day-in, day-out results, mini-break podcast, a place for you from the presser segments on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Get to talk to some of those players on Press Row. You can hear my questions, their answers, again, on that Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, all of the content available on the website, CrackRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the mini-break podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, our Crack Rackets YouTube channel channel where we're breaking down the history of teenage success on the WTA tour to help contextualize the success that we have seen from the many different teenagers this season in the women's game. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout it as well to our friends at tennis point tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said for my fantastic guests damian Koos, super producers fligner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot and we will see you all next time thanks everyone
Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.